Hello and welcome to Between the Mountains, presented with the British Adventure Collective. This episode's guest is Andrew Brownlee. Now, cast your mind back to when you were 19, 20, 21 years old. What were you doing? For me, it was uh, mostly fueled by alcohol whilst I did my university undergrad degree um, studying criminology. Um, so, achieving some academic standpoints and some social standpoints maybe, but nothing else apart from that. Andrew, in the meantime, has climbed Elbrus, Aconcagua, Kilimanjaro, and she's now tackling the 8,000 meter peaks. Um, and aiming to be the youngest person to do all 14 of the 8,000 meter peaks, which is insane. This episode is an absolute cracker. She's got some fantastic insights and experiences. Cannot wait for you to listen. Uh, And so with no further ado, especially as this episode is late, then let's dive into it and I hope you enjoy. Andrew, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Very good, thank you, and uh, also thank you for having me. Uh, but honestly, thank you for coming on. Uh, honestly, well, I've, I've, I said this before, record, so it's good that the people can hear me saying it as well. So I'm not taking it for granted. I really appreciate it when when people like yourself come on the podcast. It's uh, yeah, it should it should be fun. Um, but I wanted to kind of delve right back to the um, to the start of it all, really, because you've got you've got quite an adventurous background and you have achieved so much um you know just just factory speaking obviously quite a young age and you've done so much and you seem so grounded i wanted to kind of go back to where adventure began because i've read that you did the national three peaks challenge at nine years old but is that where adventure started for you or, or is it as long as you remembered um yeah that was sort of the the start of it all so When I was nine years old, my dad introduced the world of sport and adventure and endurance training. Um, And I think it was his passion to build me up into this this big, fit, healthy athlete. Um, So I kind of went with the flow and uh, he mentioned the Three Peaks Challenge. So I reluctantly agreed to that, um, as you do as a nine year old um, with not much say. Uh, So we did go for that. Um, We tried it the first time. And I actually got hypothermia on the last mountain, which was Ben Nevis. Um, and usually you'd sort of give up at that point and say, okay, this isn't really for me. Um, but we went back two months later and tried again, but the reverse. Uh, so we started with Ben Nevis, uh, bashed that out and then went to Scapa Pike Snowden. Um, and I did it in 22 hours. And that was when I got my first feel for stardom in a way because I got in the newspaper and you know everyone at school was like can you do an assembly or can you tell us about it all so I kind of loved that little attention that I got from from that and um, our teacher then went on to ask us um, in one of their lessons you know what would you want to be when you're older as one of those typical like school works uh, so you have to write up a letter um, and I ended up writing that I wanted to be famous in the future for climbing Everest um, and the last paragraph I wrote that I want to inspire others about it as well. Um, so my mum actually just showed me that like maybe a year ago um, and I completely forgot about it, obviously, because um, at that time it didn't really mean anything. Um, but it ended up being, you know, the thing that I achieved at 20 years old. So it was quite a, a cool, like circular story to it all. Um, so yeah, that's where it all started. <laughs> I was gonna say that's that's kind of cool actually. That's that's you're one of the few cases where people have said what they are 
um, said that what they want to do in primary school, and they've actually gone and done it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Usually yeah. it's astronaut or or um, I don't know vet, and you end up in Tesco or something. But <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I always think though that's when you're at the most purest time. You haven't got any influences from anyone else. You know, like your parents or your friends or university. So it is almost for some people deep down what they really want to do. Like they look at it and they think, wow, it's amazing. Um, so I always tell when I do like school talks, for example, what was it that you actually wanted to be when you were younger? Um, and if you're feeling a bit lost right now, maybe bring that back up to the surface and explore it again. Because, um, you know, there might be a kid there that wants to climb Everest or that, you know, wants to be an astronaut. Well, what's stopping you? Um, you know, there's nothing really stopping you. Um, for me, like mountaineering, the only big thing was finance because um, it's so expensive. But, you know, I put my head down, worked hard got the sponsors and that's how I've been able to to pay for it all so that was the one big obstacle and I got through it so why can't everyone else do that yeah exactly exactly yeah it must be nice going and doing school talks and sort of inspiring a um aspiring aspiring a younger generation <laughs> <laughs> um, we, um the what would be at this time upon release um last week's guest um or last fortnight's guest uh Nikki Love she does talks at school and I asked her like do you ever get do you ever get inspiration from those kids to yourself uh, like same thing to you do you ever do you ever get pretty fired up from seeing how they are too well definitely I mean they have like so much motivation so much energy and love for life um that you rarely get to see amongst adults now because you know everyone's stuck on their phones or you know most people are having midlife crises so you know when you get to see these little kids bundles of joy it's it's lovely and then they also ask sometimes the most ridiculous questions or questions you wouldn't get from anyone else uh, that make you think. Um, and yeah, you just appreciate uh, what, they, what they're thinking at that age. Um, and it brings you back almost like you're a little kid. I mean, I'm basically a kid, to be honest. I'm only just into my 20s. So. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, talk, talking about, um, you know, having, having that brilliant uh, mindset and, and that motivation. Another part of that all sort of mindset is resilience too. And I was reading up your sort of project logs where you've done the, you did the Welsh 3000s, which um, from all accounts sounded brutal. Uh, you've done the fan dance, you've done, is it the, uh, the Muscle Acre uh, races as well that you've done twice? Yeah, yeah, I've done a few OCRs as well, yeah. <laughs> do you think, um, do you think they built some seriously good foundations for you to have the resilience in the bigger mountains later on? Oh, definitely. I mean, from a young age, my parents have taught me that, you know, the journey to where you want to get to is always going to be tough. And they've always put me in those situations where I'm under pressure and I have to work hard for something, um, not just in sort of fitness, going to the gym and training, but also like in school life as well. So they always wanted me to go to good schools, uh, good grammar schools. So I'd always have to sit exams. Um, I lived in America for a few years and it's uh, known for being one of the toughest schools to get into with their entrance exam. And, you know, it was stress. It was, I had hair falling out and everything. Um, I was so nervous about this exam, but it taught me those lessons, those life lessons um, that nowadays people don't get anymore. Everything's so easy and everything, you know, comes free and quick and instant. Um, so yeah, those sort of life skills I got brought up with really did help me um, have that mental stamina persist resistance and persistence you know um so yeah it definitely helped would you would you recommend um someone to do the Welsh 3000s because uh, honestly reading your project log on online was so funny it was 
yeah it, sound, it sounded just brutal that day oh, lovely snack in the middle though the uh, yeah yeah <laughs> that, was, that was the best part I mean it was definitely I think to, it is the hardest thing I have done today um it's just 24 hours of solid pain agony <laughs> bleeding sweating tears I mean it was the hottest day of the year and you know in the UK when it gets hot it's really hot it's like sticky and and we didn't have enough water and yeah, it's just every step seemed like an eternity. So, I mean, I would recommend it if you want some something that's going to humble you and make you realise um, your, your limits uh, <laughs> and uh, you come out of it feeling like a hero. Um, so that part of it's nice. But the actual thing, just I'd say train hard and train with the heavy backpack and it'll make life easier. But yeah. <laughs> So you said you didn't you said you wouldn't do it again um but time's a healer would, would you do it again now no <laughs> definitely not glad you did it but not not ever again <laughs> no 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 no. i mean that's that was part of the motivation to be fair was if i don't do this i'm not coming back to try again so i do it now i don't never that's that's i suppose it works right you can't, you can't yeah. argue with it if it works <laughs> Um, so initially, uh, I think your goal was doing uh, the seven summits, and now you've, you know, upgraded that goal to be um, all 14, 8,000 meters. I think aiming to do it by the age of twenty three, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. and wipe Ming uh, Ming Maji off the board. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, one of my questions before diving into that project uh, in a bit more detail, one of the things I was thinking about was: Are, are you quite tunnel vision on that fourteen by um, uh, fourteen by eight? Or do you constantly have other ideas coming in, coming in from the outside? Think, oh, I could do this, I could do that, and you have to stay focused. Oh, always. I mean, it's it's part of my personality. I think I can't sit still on one thing. Um, so people will give me all these ideas, and like even North Face, who I'm sponsored by, they'll throw ideas out there as well, or they'll say like, oh, you know, fourteen eight thousand, maybe that's not enough. You have to do it no two or. <laughs> you have to fly off one of the mountains or something and I get all these ideas and yeah it's just I, I literally I'm up at night thinking about things like this um how can I fly off an 8000 or when can I learn to ski or you know when can I go rock climbing or ice climbing so yeah there's always something on my radar but because this is such a big project and takes up such a huge part of my life it is I've been pretty concentrated on this um and just trying to make it work in all aspects like financially time wise um all these things so yeah I'm pretty set on that but I'm really planning stuff for after because I can't sit at home for just having no plan it doesn't work <laughs> I was gonna say that that paragliding effort you've got because you you've you've got is it from what I can understand like sort of like a first license and then you get it like you can get a second license or something like that is that right yeah so you I mean you you just keep going training um and then you can take different routes so you can do like speed flying uh acro uh, like hike and fly cross country so I've got like the basic sort of paragliding pilot license um, and then now the more I train yeah the more I can do pretty much but I mean I was trained by one of the best paragliders in the world he he paraglided off Everest um, <laughs> off the summit and no one knows about him which I find bonkers because he's one of these typical sort of Red Bull athlete kind of guys he's crazy um, so he flew off and then he canoed from where he landed into India. Um, so yeah, it's pretty phenomenal thing to have achieved. So it was cool being able to be taught by him. Um, 
and it was like a proper crash course another military kind of 15 days up at 6 a.m 10k run then paraglide all day up hills and but yeah it was fun I mean that must have been a feat in itself just to get the kit to the summit like uh, I, I, don't, no I don't know how packable it is but but you know and, and I've not I've not been on Everest but <laughs> looking at the plenty of videos and speaking to plenty of guests that must have been quite something else just to drag that up to the top like on its own definitely yeah I mean I know that I can get pretty light these days but I think also just with the altitude you need a pretty sturdy wing so I'm not sure how light he could have gone actually but I'm sure he had some support as well um, from his Sherpas and his guides um, I, I wanted to ask as well with the paragliding is that like a is that an effort to confront some sort of fear of heights at all or do you just not are you not even phased by it no not phased at all I mean I was with Nims at the time we'd just come off the I'll come off Everest um or not even it was sorry it was Katie Winter we just come back from and he said oh you know I'm gonna go train paragliding for a bit in Pokhara uh do you want to come join and do like the two-week course uh so like yeah sure why not I mean (laughs) nothing to be afraid of so did the course two days in started flying on my own um so yeah it was that must have been epic, I mean, epic views. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, it's something that I'd never thought of doing before. Um, and, oh, Lord. and it's also one of those things where if you think about it too much, you're not going to do it. Um, so, yeah, I just went in blazing and yeah, just smashed had it. the time of life, yeah. <laughs> so tell us a bit more about this plan to um, to do all 8,000 uh, metres. We, we, kind of, we kind of hinted at it before that you're, you're going to become the youngest uh, hopefully all, all, all things equal you're going to become the the youngest person to have done all 14 8000 meters how, how did it evolve into that project and, and what's this sort of update how's it all going um so i mean it all started when i was on the k2 winter expedition with nims um so the purpose of that was training for everest um, which i was also going to do with him um and he literally just walked into my tent uh, one morning uh, during the expedition and he's like you know, Andrew, you should just go for the 14 8,000ers. I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> so obviously put this seed in my head. Um, and within the next 24 hours, I called up my parents and quit university. Um, so <laughs> that was, that was, you know, quick and easy. Um, and I just put my heart and soul into, into this project now. So I did Everest uh, last year and uh, spent another few months in, in Kathmandu. And then I flew to Manistu, summited that, um, then flew to Dalagiri, summited that, uh, did Amadabham with my dad. Um, and then that was 2021 wrapped up. So I got three 8,000 is done within six months, which I never thought I would do because um, the original plan was just Everest. Um, and then, yeah, 2022 will be bigger and better, hopefully. So six 8,000 is this year and then the remaining, the remaining five in 2023 and then hopefully done <laughs> so is so is that uh, you know all things equal is that pretty much squared away the logistics for 2022 was there still quite a lot less open um i mean yeah tie down it's still pretty open um the biggest thing for me is finance um so mm. trying to fund this whole project is a bit of a nightmare um <laughs> uh, and it's stressful so at the moment i'm still trying to get the funds together for my first three peaks this year, um, which I'm going to do all together. So that'll be Kanchenjunga, Lotse and Makali. I'm going to do within like one month, basically. Um, 
so I've got a total sum that I need to raise fat um which I'm still working on but getting there um and then the other three I still have to figure out where that, that money's going to come from but you know I'll get there in the end I'm, I'm pretty good well, at that sort of stuff I'm pretty sure um, of Benita Norris who um is the the um she's got the book called The Girl Who Climbed Everest uh she was a guest on this podcast as well brilliant person I'm pretty sure if I remember the story correctly on the last day of possible to get the funds into Kenson Cool, who was leading the um leading the expedition to, um, of Everest, on the very last day, um, she got a confirmation from a company. Um, yeah. she she just she just happened to call call into a radio station, to explain what she's doing. So they got her on as a guest. And I, I think that same day that they um that someone who she'd previously approached um called her going oh go on then <laughs> and um yeah. and literally the last day that she would have had to say yes or no to kenton she managed to get the funding and she's like yeah let's go <laughs> so yeah i mean it's total luck really and you have to know people within the brand or company that you're you're trying to get in contact with or else it's just impossible pretty much you know yeah. it's like you're trying to tell people to give you money for almost something that's quite selfish i mean the way that i try to do it is that it's you know it's not selfish and I tried to incorporate the brand as much as possible and you know do talks within the business or try to put out a good message to other people so yeah I mean it's really difficult trying to get away with with basically just taking money out of people <laughs> I mean I already climbed Everest and when I sort of had that period of time to to gather sponsors which is actually when I got North Face that was the worst period because people were just thinking like okay thousands of people have climbed Everest what makes you any different mm. I'm young and I'm a woman like <laughs> I don't know so I, I was trying to like you know scratch around and try and find that like personal brand what sets me apart other than just being young and it was really hard um, and you know because I'm only 20 years old I haven't really found myself yet you know uh, I still have a lot of time to discover who I am what I stand for um but yeah, it's, I had to speed up that process and <laughs> just get on with it, um, really, and, and dip my feet in different things. So, you know, I've tried uh, woman empowerment, I've tried mental health, and, you know, those were the two things that kind of stuck with me, uh, to say. So. Yeah, and they're bloody important as well. So <laughs> it's not like not like you picked two really random topics and they just happen to work and you, you're not behind them anyway and you're like, okay, well, just keep using these then. <laughs> but you're right, though, it, it, it is pretty crazy how um you know I, I think you would have if you'd kept on with uni you would have finished uni this year would you have done or next year but uh, yeah this yeah, maybe next year because I took a gap year so oh, okay yeah yeah but it, it's it's weird how you're expected to by this age uh that you're at by as far as society goes in education and and jobs you should now know what you're going to do for the rest of your life and I, I think you know I, I'm, I'm 28 and I'm still ironing out the last few details of who I am and what I like. You know, yeah. I think I only found like adventure when I was like 25, I think, like 26 or something. So um, it's, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? And, and that, I yeah. think that just, that just blows up even more what you've achieved already, I think, because, you know, the, I, I don't know if I would have said this in the intro to this episode, but I was having a think about it the other day of just, just asking, you know, think back to when you were 19, what were you doing? Because I was drinking at uni <laughs> and, and that's it. I wasn't doing anything else, but you're out here yeah. just like, like smashing these out. And that's actually one of the things um, to dart back a little bit. 
you know, before you were 18, you did what? Kilimanjaro, Aconcagua and Elbrus. Yeah. <laughs> which is mental. <laughs> and one of the things I was thinking about, you know, thinking retrospectively is if you were to go back with your experience of K2 winter, um, which we'll get into in a second, with your experience of Everest and the Dablam, would you go back and do them differently in any way at all? No, <laughs> I think I've been extremely lucky with how my path and journey has sort of worked out because um, to be able to start so young um, and just get stuck into it was the best choice I could have made. And coming out of university as well um, in that first six months, if I'd stayed any longer, I probably wouldn't be here doing this today. I'd be, you know, studying for my next exams and I wouldn't have time to, to bash out these 14, 8,000 and have to wait till later. Um, and then, you know, I'd be like every other sort of middle-aged woman who's mountain, who's climbing. Um, and that's not what I wanted to do. I want to stand out, be unique um, and be able to, you know, show other people who are younger than me that you can do this as well. And you don't have to, you know, follow that pressure, as you said. Um, and, you know, people don't really know what they want to do either. So just, you know, choose things, try them out, see how you feel. Um, I tried out uni, didn't like it, switched straight away. <laughs> tried out mountaineering, fell in love with it, um, and I'm, I've stuck at it, so. Yeah, I think um, a, a quote I saw the other day, um, not to say that um, it's necessarily a bad idea, but it kind of suits what you what you did about trying uni and then leaving, um, was, the, oh, I'm gonna try and paraphrase it, because if I try and go for it, I'll butcher it. <laughs> um, but um, the quote was basically saying it's never too late to stop a bad idea. Like, like just because you've started um, something that isn't the right thing for you or is actually just generally speaking a bad idea. Just because you started, it doesn't mean you have to finish it. Like, you, like it's, it's always a good time to stop doing a bad idea. So, yeah. And, and the focus it's given you, clearly that, that moment with Nims in the, in the tent was uh, just <laughs> lay, laying that seed. It's going, yeah, I think you should do the, all, all 14 of them and just leaves again. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I needed that. <laughs> it was a light bulb moment for me, definitely. And for someone of his sort of caliber to see that I had a talent in this and I was capable, that's that's what just, you know, pushed me over the edge. And that yeah. was it. <laughs> Decision made. <laughs> 100%. And you did actually end up um, on the K2 winter expedition. And I wanted to ask you a bit more about that. I mean, I mean, firstly, how did that come about and how was it for you? Um, so, yeah, I basically messaged NIMS um, when I found out that my Everest expedition was cancelled. Um, I was crying for about an hour solid because um, I would trained so hard along for this. Um, and then I, I mustered up the courage to just call up NIMS and ask him, what are you doing? Um, are you going to do an expedition next year? Or Because I knew if anyone's going to do something during these times, it would be him because um, he's a nutter and, you know, if you know a virus isn't going to stop him so um he actually told me to meet up um have a coffee and chat about it so starstruck as I was I said yes um straight away um and we met up and he said come to the K2 winter do some training with us meet the team um and then from there we can go to Everest um we can join the group so I was like yep yeah, why not <laughs> and went along and it was honestly the most incredible experience of my life um just being immersed into a group of such talented people uh, from the other side of the world. I didn't have a scooby about how to speak Nepali, didn't know anything about the culture, um, but I was just thrown into it straight away. And there was no sort of 
westernized or commercialized aspect to this expedition at all we were sat in the tent on the floor eating dalbat and you know traditional pakistani food as well um so yeah it was pretty cool um and then obviously to watch them actually succeed and come back and just their energy positivity um the whole atmosphere of, of the base camp was phenomenal um so yeah that was that was definitely something that that pushed me into this whole climbing world as well um so yeah, yeah. It, it was amazing <laughs> was it quite a bit of a culture shock for you because um the the, the balance the reason i'm asking is, is you've you've been to so many different places already by this point so you're used to not english culture but like you just said you got just got thrown at a deep end like properly within an athlete's team was that a bit of a shock to the system or did you just sort of hit the ground running it was the beginning because i'm quite sort of a reserved person uh when i first meet people so obviously the language barrier as well didn't help so i was very quiet and um, actually like some of the guys in the team tell me now because they're all my family like they're my best friends so they tell me now they're like you were just silent like we didn't know what you were doing here I was like oh my god <laughs> awkward so yeah like when I look back it was it was really strange going in but we sort of instantly clicked and because you're in such an intense environment you're sleeping together we were we were had like a tent every night um on the way to uh, to base camp and we'd all just sleep in a row in our in our sleeping tents and now sleeping um oh my god gone over my head Sleeping bag. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't want to say it. Because, yeah, sleeping bag. That's a stupid answer and there's actually a technical <laughs> word. <laughs> so we were all in a row, like, huddled together, keeping each other warm, and you never have that in normal life. Um, no. You know, you never work into your off, walk into your office and suddenly be sleeping with all your, your teammates. So, yeah, it was a weird experience, but it was fun, and um, we got to know each other really quickly. Um, so, yeah, it was... Yeah, it was just like nice to to be able to to have that bond. Um. And, and I wanted to dive into the um uh, the the kind of purpose behind the trip as well because I, I read somewhere that um because of the uh, a couple of the scares on the mountain, um you didn't you got given the chance to go above Camp One, uh but you chose to stay, get the experience, and head back down and, and definitely be around for Everest. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to explore the purpose a bit more. Was it ever the conversation that you were going to try and go to the top of k2 as well or were you just there to get a bit more experience and acclimatize uh, what was what was the sort of the, the purpose behind the trip yeah i mean it was totally from the beginning it was just to go out there and train and get a feel for life uh, on an eight thousand meter peak um so the original plan was if you feel good if you feel fit get up to maximum camp two or camp three um and that's if all things are safe you know whether um, all these sort of bits come together in your favor. Um, so in the end, I just went up to camp one um, and I felt like I could have gone further. I felt good, felt acclimatized. But when I did come down and I heard of, you know, a few people had passed away, um, the rock fall, the ice fall that I had experienced myself, it just put me off completely um, in that moment. And I just thought it's not worth the risk. This is my first 8,000 er the press that I'm going to get is just ridiculous. I was already getting negative press, um, a few articles here and there pointing me out as sort of the inexperienced girl at base camp. So, yeah, I didn't want to push my limits. And I thought, you know, I've been to camp one. I've had a, a taste of it. I've dipped my feet in. And, 
I've got a huge appreciation for that mountain now and I just want to go back and, and smash it out. Yeah, I've read a few of those articles in the research and, and there's 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 such elitists out there, aren't there? <laughs> like it's it's almost like you could, you could almost put like a black and white um, sort of filter on it, uh, like and make it like a movie that I go, oh, woman who's young on the mountain. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's crazy. And it's just it was the assumptions that they'd made as well. Um, you know, fair enough if I'd actually gone out there and put on my Instagram, I'm going to I'm going to summit K2. But from the beginning, I'd said this is just training um, and they seemed to, to miss that vital piece of information <laughs> um and just went straight in and they said that I was sponsored by Jeep and all this stuff and I was like it's just my mom's car <laughs> I mean I wish I was sponsored by Jeep but <laughs> yeah so it was interesting there's no way they've got a nice car like that they've got to be sponsored <laughs> fair play good move <laughs> yeah but I mean what what an amazing place to get get training from I mean are there any key lessons that you learned on that mountain that that you that have stuck with you at all um I mean I just learned to respect the mountains um and what they could do because some of the people that passed away they were incredibly experienced mountaineers um and it was just simple mistakes that they made or you know the weather or rockfall so yeah you've got to really respect that and I kind of went in there thinking you know if you're fit and you're good to go but really it's it's not that at all um and you have to be so careful so that was the main takeaway um and then the other one was just that I love this so much you know <laughs> I just want to stay here forever and do this for the rest of my life pretty much so yeah there were two good good lessons there yeah absolutely and I think that's really exemplified in your decision to not go above camp one I mean that that takes that, I think that takes quite a I don't whether you realize it or not quite a strong mind to to be to be there and, you know, especially with the respect you've got for the financing of these uh, of these uh, expeditions to to be there. You don't have to worry about finance or, or anything. You're, you're right there right now. You've got a good amount of skill. You know, you've been to Camp One. You're with a really fantastic team. And to still say, actually, no, I'm not quite ready to go above Camp One this time. I think that that, that I think that really shows in your decision of respecting the mountain instead of just going, ah, oh, what's the worst that can happen? And then... Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's so important as well because that is where a lot of people make the mistake. Um, they get summit fever and, you know, everything that matters, they just disregard um, and all they care about is that summit. Um, so you can't think like that. And I mean, I made the same kind of decision when I was nine years old, when I had the hypothermia, my dad turned around to me and said, you know, you're 200 meters away from the summit of Ben Nevis. Do you want to carry on or do you want to go back down and, you know, go back home? Um, and so when he told me that, so I just started crying my eyes out. <laughs> I was like, my mom's going to be so disappointed. You know, I, I can't do this again. Uh, but then in the end, I said, I have to go down and we just have to try again next time. Um, and for like a nine year old to make that decision was pretty impactful. Um, and it's always stayed with me. So any time that I am on the mountain and you know if I did get in danger or I didn't feel right and it wasn't it wasn't in the destiny then I'll just say you know no time to go down um I can always try again next year so yeah exactly and they're not moving anywhere are they they're exactly yeah. <laughs> oh damn the annual migration of Ben Nevis to a different country <laughs> when, when you're on these mountains and you talk about it in your in your project logs too you know you not everything goes so according to plan and, and so wonderfully right. And it's like a book and it's amazing. Um, how do you deal with adversity, you know, from running out of oxygen to the other smaller things that happen on expedi expeditions? 
how do you process and and confront and deal with adversity so i've had quite a few um like coaching sessions about these kind of things so at the moment i work with um a company called gazing and they they've helped me with their red to blue model um so i always go in um before an expedition and they sort of make you write down what could go wrong um and then how can you avoid this or better how can you deal with this situation if it does happen um and that's really helped uh because it makes you think about these things because a lot of people just go into it completely blind um and if something does go wrong then they'll just go with the flow at the time which is not right you know it's it's always good to be prepared for the worst um and so i've always thought about these things so what if we get into a storm or what if my oxygen runs out how am i going to deal with it um, and what's going to be my thought process so I don't just go into panic mode or red mode, as they call it. Um, and you always want to stay in that blue side um, so you can make decisions calmly and, you know, you still have that pressure, but you're able to deliver. Um, so that's really helped my sort of process and way of thinking. Um, so if I do, you know, run out of OT, I'm going to sit down, <laughs> I'm going to take a minute to process and you know, calm myself, do some breathing techniques and just get on with it. Um, but yeah, you've just got to, you got to look at, look at how you can mitigate these problems um, and get around them um, safely. But they do happen. And sometimes it's something that you couldn't even think would have happened. Um, and you just got to be calm because as soon as that sort of negative, like strike comes in, you're, you're buggered, <laughs> basically. Um, so yeah, things can change quickly on the mountain. <laughs> yeah, because it, it, that initial emotional panic must must be so overriding at one point. Like yeah, yeah well, like like can, you said, I mean, when if, your oxygen goes. <laughs> yeah, it, it can kill people instantly as well. At that altitude, um, your body, your brain is not getting enough oxygen. Your muscles are weak, and if something big happens, some people have had heart attacks. Um, just from some news, for example. So I think there was a couple actually on Everest and um, the wife got news of her husband passing away higher up and she instantly died of a heart attack just from that news and the panic. Um, so you've got to be able to avoid these situations by planning ahead and knowing how to react and knowing how your body might react. Um, so yeah. and, and not just paying a team of Sherpas to drag you up to the top. <laughs> keep shoving oxygen on your face yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, well i mean we're, we're coming up on time but but i ask i sort of finish off my podcast with like one and a half questions almost and the the first one is you know it, you have achieved like, like a shed load already at this point and you've got plenty of other achievements as well going on but in all of your adventure uh sort of career life so far what is one moment that you would love to relive One moment. I mean, there's so many. <laughs> That's the problem. Um, yeah. <laughs> moment I'd like to relive. You know what? I'd actually like to relive my Everest summit, but not because I enjoyed it, because I'd do it differently. Because um, <laughs> when I did arrive to the top, I just didn't take it in at all. Um, and I didn't realise what I'd done. And I don't know if that was because of the altitude. I wasn't thinking straight, but I sort of just got there and my mind just fogged over um, and all I was thinking about was, okay, I need to get down now. Um, so I didn't take that moment to sit down 
look at the 360 view, the sunrise. I mean, we went up at the most beautiful time of the day. Um, it was just bright orange, fiery sky, not a cloud in sight. Um, so yeah, I kind of wish that I just soaked that in a little bit more because um, everyone asked me, like, how does it feel to be on something? I was like, well, actually, I just sit there, took a TikTok of my Sherpa and then went back down. So <laughs> pretty underwhelming, to be honest. Um, so yeah, that would be the one that I'd relive. <laughs> perfect perfect yeah and then that's and that's on your uh, mission logs as well which is uh which is the next question which is that if we wanted to follow you on your adventures uh see the content that you're producing and the photos and everything where can we go and do that so i mean my main one would be instagram um just because that's more of a live update um and i like to put little stories uh under my photos as well um so yeah, that'll be the main one. And then obviously my website as well, um, which I update with blogs. Um, so little short recaps of my expeditions. Um, so those are the two two main avenues you can go down. Perfect. Well, I'll put those in the show notes as well so everyone can go and have a click and have a look. But, um, but Andrew, thank you so much for coming on. I, re I really appreciate it. Thank you. No worries. And thank you for having me. It's always great to be able to talk and hopefully inspire others or even just give them half an hour of of enjoyment. <laughs>